Los Angeles, and welcome back to the Apologetics.com radio show. This is Jason Gallagher, and we are here with Apologetics.com, challenging believers to think and thinkers to believe. And I am here in studio tonight with my good buddy, Mr. Daniel Adrian. Daniel, how are you doing tonight? I am very blessed to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Apologetics.com has been here on KKLA 99.5 Friday nights at midnight since probably around 2000. Uh, we are a listener-supported show, and if you'd like to support us, you can go to apologetics.com, and you could click on Give, where you could find a link to support the show. We are not uh, paid for any of the time that we put in here as hosts, but uh, we do have costs that go to supporting this radio show and supporting some of the things that we're doing um, outside of this you know, live broadcast behind the scenes. So uh, we would love if you feel led to support us, go to apologetics.com and click on give. Uh, tonight's show is sponsored by Branch of Hope Church in Torrance, California. I am one of the elders there. Daniel Adrian is one of the deacons there, and we have been supporting this ministry probably for a good 10, 15 years through, um, through my hosting the show and also through Chris Nyswanger, who is a previous host of apologetics.com. And so we have a heart for apologetics, and we would just love to invite you guys to come join us on a Sunday morning. We meet at 10 a.m. in Torrance, California, and uh, we're a Reformed Presbyterian church. And every Sunday at about uh, 11.45 noon after the service, we have a time of question and answer where you can basically ask the pastor or the exhorter, whoever gives the sermon that day, any question you have about um, you know the Bible or... Uh, the sermon that was preached. And so with that, we did want to just kind of give out our number here. This is a live call-in show. Our board is open right now. If you guys are just enjoying a Friday night, uh, maybe you're working, maybe you're at home just relaxing, maybe you can't sleep. I don't know, but you're listening in, you hear our voices, uh, and you'd love to chat with us. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions about the Christian faith, apologetics, defending the faith, sharing your faith, um, the culture, whatever it might be, we'd be happy to take your call, and you can reach us at 888-995-5552. That's 888-995-KKLA. So pretty, pretty simple there. Um, last time, so I host the show once a month. I'm on the second Friday slash Saturday morning, Friday night, Saturday morning. And last time we kind of started off this conversation talking about the importance of uh, how we view scripture and how we view scripture has a direct implication on basically how we live out our lives and even how uh, Christianity impacts really the culture and the world around us. And three main topics or categories of scripture that we talked about were inerrancy, authority, and sufficiency. And the idea is that each of these three topics, inerrancy, authority, and sufficiency, are like three legs of a stool, right? You lose any one of these legs, the entire stool falls down, right? So inerrancy is this idea that the scriptures are completely perfect. They are 100% true. There is nothing in the scriptures that is inaccurate or false, okay? Um, authority is the idea that every subject, every area of life that uh, Scripture speaks to, it is the supreme authority. In fact, 
it is the supreme authority above everything in life, right? So um, the idea here is if you're driving in a car and you get pulled over by a policeman and they're, they're telling you you broke the speed limit, you went, you know, you were going 35 miles per hour and, you know, your, your husband or your wife is in the seat next to you and your husband's like, oh, no, honey, you're fine. You, you don't need to pay that, pay that fine. You know, you don't need to pay that ticket. Well, guess what? Your husband or wife is not authoritative in that sense that the police officer has the authority to write you that ticket, right? So your mom or your dad, your husband or your wife, they have no authority in that situation. So there's this hierarchy and there's this jurisdictions where authority is given to, to certain individuals. And when you're driving down the road, Police officers have that authority. And what we're saying here is the Bible is the highest authority. So that police officer who's giving you, giving you or writing you that ticket, or even above that, the state or the county or the city who wrote that law and put that speed limit sign up, well, well they, they have the authority to do that, but they report to a, a higher authority, and that authority is God, and God has spoken through the scriptures. And so everyone in every sphere of life is ultimately accountable and in submission to the authoritative word of God. And so we're going to unpack that a bit tonight. And then there's sufficiency. Is the scripture sufficient to teach us about every, every area of life? Or is there areas that the scriptures don't have jurisdiction, right? Do the scriptures tell us how to fry an egg? or to how to make breakfast for your kids, or to change your baby's diaper. We unpacked that a little bit on uh, the show I hosted last month, and the answer is yes. Scripture is sufficient to teach us about everything and anything um, we do in life. There is no area where Scripture is simply you know, outside of its jurisdiction. Um, and so we're going to unpack that. And when you lose one of these... If you lose the inerrancy of Scripture and you think, well, Scripture got it wrong here. You know, when, when, when the Scriptures talked about Adam and Eve, for example, eh, that wasn't really the way it unfolded in reality, in history. You know, that was just kind of like this myth or this story, this nice story that was written down, but it's really not true. Like, the Scriptures are actually just, they're wrong there in terms of what actually unfolded and what actually happened. Well, then you lose the truthfulness of Scripture, right? And so inerrancy is important because if it's not true, then it's certainly not authoritative. We certainly don't have to listen to it. And it's certainly insufficient to teach us, let's say, about where we came from, right? If that whole story of Adam and Eve is, is false and untrue, well, the Scriptures are insufficient to tell us, well, who were, who were our first ancestors and those sorts of things. And so when you lose any one of these areas, you basically lose all of them. And I would say 100, maybe 200-ish years ago, we started to lose some of these areas. And you can see the outworking of that in the way that culture has unfolded over the past several decades, right? You know, you ask anyone where we came from, you know, the majority view in culture is not oh yeah, Adam and Eve, God created Adam and Eve and we are all descendants of Adam and Eve. You know, they'll, they'll tell you something along the lines of, well, you know, fish 
cells, worms, you know, tadpoles, they grew legs, they started to walk on the earth and they, you know, just kept evolving and then apes and then, you know, so on and so forth and then humans. And so it's a completely different history of how we got here. And when you lose that history, when you lose that authority, it has certain outworkings uh, in our lives. Psalm 11.3 says this. It says that if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And so where are the foundations to everything that we believe, right? Um, where is the foundation of the gospel start? It starts right there in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, right? You have a good creation, you have a fall, and then you have God declaring that he is going to crush the head of the serpent while the heel of the son of the woman is bruised, right? It's, it's a picture of the son of the woman, the seed of the woman who is Christ crushing the head of Satan, right? So you have the gospel truly right there, right in the beginning of Genesis, right? And we have the foundation of so many other things which we could unpack. Um, but I did want to get Daniel's get Daniel's thoughts. Daniel, what do you what do you think about uh, the authority of Scripture and the importance of you know these three things: inerrancy, authority, sufficiency, and how important they are together? And then if we lose them, how that impacts kind of the way we live, the way ultimately culture unfolds, and so on and so forth. Yeah, I think from one angle, right, if I look at authority as to scope, uh, which you talked about, if I look at authority as to scope in terms of where does God's authority end? Well, the biblical response is nowhere, right? There's nowhere that God's authority is not regnant, meaning reigning. It's not present. It's not active. So yeah, as to scope, I could see that. I think from that perspective, I can see it as um, sort of one of the three legs of the stool. Uh, there's another way we could think about authority, which is as to source. So if we think about authority as to source, which is it's because Scripture is God-breathed, which we touched on. Yep. God breathed out all Scripture. We touched on that. We actually... I think covered it pretty pretty well in a short amount of time mm -hmm. uh, in our last episode, which I'm I'm very sorry, audience, that you have to deal with me two episodes in a row. But yes, I was on that show as well. Um, I think when you look at it that way, then authority is what actually brings with it both sufficiency and inerrancy, right? Okay. If it's and I I actually tried. So well, there's an order to it. Yeah, yeah. We and talk, you think authority is at the top. Yeah, I think if we talk about this is coming from God, and I mm -hmm. tried to make some of these arguments in our last installment together. Mm -hmm. uh, if it's coming from God, then it has to be sufficient, because would God give an insufficient word? Mm -hmm. And if it comes from God, then God is the ultimate authority. It has to be authoritative. So would he give an inauthoritative, <laughs> say that five times fast, inauthoritative, okay. a, a, so, a word lacking authority? So let me, let me ask you a question right there. Um, 
everything that comes from God is authoritative and therefore it must be sufficient. So let me let me just say this. When Genesis itself so is Genesis by itself sufficient or does it take the entire canon of scripture to be truly sufficient? So this is a real because God is speaking in Genesis, right? But He's also speaking in Exodus, right? So can you isolate just say Genesis and say, well, that alone is sufficient? Like anytime God speaks, it's sufficient. Or do you need the entire canon before you can say, okay, now it's sufficient? What do you? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, this is a really good question. This is getting at some really interesting things that I won't. Uh, won't tax the audience on teasing them all out. But even taken just at face value, it's so it's God who's speaking. So God begins to speak, and then he stops speaking. He ceases from speaking. And at that point, he has created the bracket. And by the way, audience, some of you will say, well, if he stopped speaking, everything would dissolve into nothingness. Yes, but you're talking about the providential word by which he upholds everything by his word of power, yes. Right, He continues to speak, exactly, his word of providence, upholding all things. What we're talking about is his special revelatory word in which he reveals himself to his people. So he began speaking... Through prophets, through holy men. Patriarchs, prophets, holy men, apostles, and then he stopped speaking in that way. Mm-hmm. Right when people say God doesn't speak anymore, I always want to rush in and say, "Well, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean God is God absolutely silent now?" Because I definitely, if that's what cessationism is, I'm not a cessationist. If God is completely silent silent in 2023, what is it? Depending on your reckoning of time, February 11th. Yeah, either the 10th or the 11th. Yeah, no. Uh, then I'm not a cessationist. But if you're saying God has stopped speaking away. Uh, equal to scripture, oh, well, then, yeah, that's the kind of cessationist I am. Because if he's declaring himself authoritatively and inerrantly and sufficiently on top of scripture, then we are duty-bound to add that to our Bibles. Yeah. Right? Because that means that the Bible definitionally is not sufficient. It was incomplete, and it needs these... uh, these sequels, as it were, Bible 2.0, mm-hmm. Bible 3.0. And I'm going to connect that with what we talked about in our f- previous episode, which is yeah. that's where it gets muddy when you're not a Protestant. Mm-hmm. If you're not a Protestant, you have to believe in continuing revelation, that God didn't sp- stop speaking. But to the point of this, if God stops speaking as to special revelation, mm-hmm. then that's where we end and we say, all right, that's where sufficiency, that's the boundary condition of sufficiency. Yeah. So he spoke to this point and that point is sufficient. We can't go further. So Genesis to Revelation is the sufficient authoritative inerrant word of God. It has to be. By the nature of the case, by definition it has to be. Because otherwise God would be giving you more books of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Or God right. would retroactively tell you some of these Bibles, uh sorry, some of these Bible books, so-called, some of these books of the Bible which are apocryphal, which means they're not actually canonical, they should be canon. 
right? So he mm-hmm. would he would raise up councils the way he did in the past, and they would say, actually, you know, Tobit's really good. We should add that. We were probably wrong about that. Mm-hmm. But there is, because God is not the author of confusion, he's not actually done that, right? We have a remarkably unanimous testimony of the Bible being 66 books, as you mentioned, Genesis to Revelation. Okay, so a couple verses I wanted to kind of bring bring to the attention. One of them I mentioned was, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And I'm, I'm kind of camping out in this area of authority, right? We, we didn't get to unpack that as much as we liked uh, last show. Um, so if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And where are the foundations for all of the major doctrines in Scripture? So I wanted to kind of bring bring the audience's attention to um, the first book of Scripture, Genesis. In Genesis, we have the foundation of marriage, right? Genesis chapter 1, God says, um, I'm creating man in my image, male and female. He created them, and he told the man that he should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, right? And therefore, he, then he commanded them to be fruitful and multiply. So you have the foundation of marriage, a man and a woman coming together to bear fruit, to bear children, and to be fruitful and multiply in that sense, right? That's foundational. And if you want to destroy that, you know, you need to destroy the book of Genesis. You need to destroy the foundations. Where do you have the uh, the first blood sacrifice? Where do you have that in Scripture? So um, the wages of sin is death, right? Um, God requires uh, the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so where do we see the first blood sacrifice in Scripture? God providing animal skins to clothe the nakedness of Adam and Eve. Right. And a lot of people, I don't think, some people at least, maybe not a lot of people, they, they don't catch that. Right? What did, what did Adam and Eve first try to do to cover themselves? As soon as they sinned, what did they first realize? That they were naked. They were naked. And, and they attempted to sow fig leaves. They tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. And God said, no, no, no. I need to I I need to provide a covering for you. And that covering was the skins of a lamb, an animal, right? So an animal was slain and then those skins covered Adam and Eve. So blood was first shed by God to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. So you have that entire picture which is the whole picture of Christ the Lamb of God dying, covering our sins, right? It's the picture of the gospel, right? And it's right there in Genesis. And we're clothed in his lambskin. Now, it's interesting Mm -hmm. you bring it. So it's almost like he's promoting uh, a Bible study that I'm teaching (laughs) by God's grace alone, very Mm -hmm. close to the Branch of Hope building in Torrance, California. So I guess if people are interested in Genesis and the foundations, contact the church and we can maybe set you up with Come that. to that. Yeah. Come but listen to Deacon Adrian only, teach yes. the book of Genesis. But it's great that you bring that up in the sense of it's our nakedness that's 
our realization of which is from sin, right? And in mm-hmm. conversion, you are brought to a knowledge of your utter nakedness outside of Christ. And then Christ clothes you in the lamb skin, right? The robes of righteousness knitted as it were from Christ himself. And you are clothed as if you were Christ himself in conversion. And that's mm-hmm. what you will be looked at upon the last day, apart from your works being judged, mm-hmm. but as to where you stand relationally, right, right? Are you justified? Have you been declared righteous? Are you adopted? Are you now a son? That includes you ladies, love you all. Yes. Are you a son, meaning an inheritor and a favored child of God? And are you sanctified in the the sanctifier, the one who gives the sanctifying spirit, and on and on and on? Yes. Yeah. So how do you how's that reckoned? Because this is all being pictured in that first, as you called it, animal sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because I think that is right. missed a lot. Right. And so back to Psalm eleven three, the psalmist is telling us. If these foundations be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? So all I'm trying to do is point out, well, what what is in this early chapter of Genesis, right, that we don't want to lose, right? So you have marriage, you have the first blood sacrifice, the gospel, the covering of our sin. You have, you have sin. Sin enters into the world in Genesis, right? We see the entrance of sin. We see the fall of man, right? That's in Genesis three, you have the origin of death, right? There was no death in Genesis one. Everything was good. There was no death, right? Because there was no sin, but death entered because of sin, right? The wages of sin is death. So you have that origin in Genesis three. And then you have the origin of the law, morality, you know, why we even wear clothes, why are we wearing clothes today? It's well, it's because of our nakedness, right? We we don't like to be walking around naked. It's it's shameful. It's it's uh, you know, and so we cover ourselves with clothing, like, and it all started back in Genesis. So there's the origin of so many foundational things right there in Genesis, and um, and that is one of the most attacked books of the scriptures, right? Genesis. Um, one through 11 really are some of the most fundamentally foundationally attacked books of scripture. And then I want to tie this in. So now thinking of all of these things, um, these foundational things that are in Genesis right there in the beginning, I want to fast forward a little bit to the book of John, right? The gospel of John and uh, John chapter three, when Jesus was approached by Nicodemus. Right? And Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and says, you know, good teacher. Um, you know, what – and he asks all these questions about the kingdom of God, right? And Jesus basically tells him, well, unless you are born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is thinking very uh, materially, just practically. And he says, well – how can I be born again? How can I enter a second time into my mother's womb, right? And Jesus is telling him, well, you know, you need to be born of the Spirit. The wind blows wherever it wishes, just like the Spirit does. Um, Speaking of the Holy Spirit's, you know, regenerating uh, power, it just goes wherever it wants. And it it resurrects whomever 
he chooses. And But Jesus says this, in John 3, 12, he says, I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? And it's a huge important point here. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, if you can't trust me when I'm talking about these things that you can see and touch and taste, these things of the earth, right? How can you possibly believe me when I speak of spiritual things that you can't see, like heaven, like hell, like the judgment to come, all of those things? And so this brings us back to the authority question, right? Um, And it brings us back to Genesis, the most attacked book of Scripture. And if God got these things wrong, right? If God wasn't correct when he was talking about the sun, the moon, the stars, you know, uh, let there be light, let the, uh, let, the, let the plants bear, you know, seed according to their kind, let the animals reproduce according to their kind, um, you know, the flying animals and the swimming animals will be created on day six and all the land animals on day or day five and all the land animals on day six and so on and so forth. And then at the end of this, Adam and Eve, and Eve created from Adam's rib. You know, this is all part of the earthly things that Jesus, the word of God, has spoken of in his word. And if we, and Jesus tells us right there, if we can't believe him when he thinks of these, speaks of earthly things, how can we believe him when he speaks of heavenly things? And so there's a ton at stake um, on how we, how we view the scriptures and how we view when it touches on all of these earthly things. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, that you bring up excellent points here, and I know we're coming up on a break, so I'll, I'll try to encapsulate this briefly before we enter segment two, part two of this, but, and I hope and pray you all stick around. How would I put this? So what is earthly, you have direct experience of in your body, in your flesh, materially and so if you can't trust god for that and then he talks about the unseen right that which is spiritually discerned why would you ever trust him on that you wouldn't so it's kind of absurd and he's pointing he's he's really putting the needle in that absurdity to poke that absurdity balloon yeah there's that music there's that music and when we get back on the other side of this music i want to talk about how the church has actually done a poor job. They've basically said, well, we don't need to believe all those things in Genesis that God has talked about, but we still should believe all these other things that God talked about in the Gospels. And we need to understand why that is a bad position for the church to be preaching. And so we'll talk about that more on the Apologetics.com radio show after these short messages. of apologetics.com is to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe on the radio on the internet and now in the life of the mind conferences if you believe in the work that apologetics.com is doing we encourage you to support us with your prayers and also with your tax-deductible gift so that this ministry will continue on the air on the web and in events near you 
Gifts of any amount are appreciated, and it's very simple to participate. Just go to apologetics.com and click donate. It's safe and secure. Or you can send your check or money order to apologetics.com, 1900 Southwestern Avenue, San Pedro, California, 90732. Thank you for supporting apologetics.com. Pastors, growing churches all across the Southland are using digital and broadcast media to expand their outreach to their communities. Today's digital technology, complemented by history's most influential medium, radio, allows you to do the same, to go beyond your church's walls. It's happening here on KKLA. 38% of our audience is unsaved. 50 to 60,000 are unchurched, maybe looking for a church. And more of our listeners are shut-ins, elderly and disabled who cannot get to a church. We've helped many ministries start and grow their broadcast ministry. Some are heard nationally. And we can help you use digital and audio to reach beyond your walls. Call our Director of Local Programming, Terry Harris, at 714-847-6762. 714-847-6762. You have a message of hope. We have hundreds of thousands of listeners looking for hope and answers. Call Terry at 714-847-6762. All right, let's get back to the Apologetics.com radio show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Apologetics.com radio show where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. This is Jason Gallagher, and I'm in studio tonight with Mr. Daniel Adrian, and we are talking about authority inerrancy and the sufficiency of scripture and how if you lose any one of those three things you basically lose uh, all of it and so we basically unpacked a little bit in the first segment of the show we were talking a bit about this idea of authority and how um, in the psalms we talk about if the foundations be destroyed what can the righteous do and so the enemy right um Satan, who wants to basically undermine everything good and everything that is true, has set his sights strictly on uh, the foundations of Scripture. And where are those uh, foundations found? But in the first, in the beginning, right, in Genesis, the book of beginnings, uh, right there in the first several chapters of Genesis. And unfortunately, the church has basically taken a position in large part, um, not all of the church, but uh, much of the church has taken a position that basically says, well, Genesis, the first several chapters of Genesis are basically myth. You know, they're not really historical. They're, they're more allegory. They're more meant to just kind of give you this general idea of maybe what God did or what God was uh, trying to do in this more allegorical kind of or poetic kind of sense and uh, we don't need to take any of it verbatim or kind of um, you know literally we can just kind of take what we want from it and you know it's really the rest of scripture uh, especially the gospels where where um, we need to really you know stick to what what is said there um, and we talked in the first half of the show about how Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 12, basically said this, I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. Okay? 
how then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? And the idea there is, well, when I've spoken to you of how the earth came to be, or how Adam and Eve came to be, or how animals are going to reproduce according to their kind, and so on and so forth, when I speak to you of all these earthly things, you know, when the sun was created, when the moon was created, um, you know, when the animals were created, the land animals versus the sea and the flying animals, when I spoke to you of all these things, if you don't believe me in those areas, then you then how will you ever believe me when I speak of heaven and when I speak of hell and when I think of all these things that you can't see, right, and touch and taste? And so this really gets at the authority of Scripture. And as soon as you allow someone else's uh, voice or someone else's word to have authority over God's word, you really lose all of Scripture, right? And you lose um, the foundations, right? And Psalm 11.3 says, if those foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And so when you destroy Genesis, the early chapters, you lose marriage, you lose the, 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 the gospel, the first blood sacrifice, sin and the fall, the origin of death, all of these things, you lose them. And so it really makes, well, if, if, if death came into the world because of sin, right, according to the scriptures. But if you say, no, 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 death is just more of this kind of process that just happens and is necessary in order for life to evolve and for, you know, higher higher creatures to come about, like death is this creative force, well, then, then why did Jesus have to die, right? It undermines the entire sacrifice of Christ when you start to um, replace the foundations of scripture with you know, man's ideas about, about the past or our origins or how we got here. Um, and so that's kind of what we, what we unpacked a little bit in the first half, and we want to dig into that a little bit more in the second half of the show. Uh, but we did want to throw out our number. Uh, we'd love to chat with you. If you have different thoughts or different ideas or maybe the same thoughts or same ideas, uh, we'd love to chat with you or take your questions about the Bible um, or any questions you might have, you can call us at 888-995-5552. That's 888-995-KKLA. So, um, you know, before we unpack some of that, Daniel, did you want to, is there any, anything you wanted to, to add in? Yeah. So, I mean, my prayer is that what would be pressed home upon many who I think are kind of make up the majority of our listeners, uh, but at least a good portion of them is if your pastor or your elder board or your session, if they supersede the word of God, then you're losing the foundations. Uh, your, your minister, the reason why we have historically used that, he is to minister the word of God to you. He's not to, I don't know, <laughs> re-proclaim it to you in a new way or, uh, and I'm not, I'm not denying that there's a, a work of application that the man is involved in, although we affirm that the Holy Ghost is the true applier of the text. What I'm getting at is he's not sort of 
looking at the Bible, drawing on it, and giving this modern, updated message to you, sort of loosely based on the text. If that's what you're dealing with, whether it's a priest, self-proclaimed priest, Christ is our high priest, uh, or whatever he calls himself, or she calls herself, <laughs> or whatever group of mm -hmm. elders, or whatever they call themselves, if that's what they're doing, then they're saying like, well, yeah, here's the word of God, but I've got the sequel, or I've got the commentary on it that you should really listen to. And that is in itself undermining the foundations. Mm -hmm. Another important point about Psalm 11 is when we talk about the foundations being destroyed, Genesis in a very real sense, right? So Genesis comes from the Hebrew on in the beginning, mm -hmm. Bereshit, uh, my horrible Hebrew pronunciation, apologies to mm -hmm. all better Hebrew speakers, but in the beginning, right? Genesis. And so we created a word uh, in the church, at least. We, we appropriated this word and applied it of beginnings mm -hmm. in the beginning. So if, if, if we look at it that way, then there's a sense in which Genesis is not only the canonical beginning of the foundation, but because it's dealing with first things, it's dealing with creation and so forth, mm -hmm. it is, in a sense, a foundation of the foundations. So we would never, there is a tendency among some of us who really mean well to make Genesis kind of a, a ne plus ultra, which <laughs> is not the word I wanted here. Uh, a litmus test in a wrong sense, like this is the book of books, if you don't get this right, you're you're doomed. Well, if you don't get any book right, you're doomed. But yeah, there is a special sense in which we look at Genesis because it deals with origins. Mm -hmm. I mean, Lawrence Krauss, that's his podcast, Origins. A lot of physics mm. is obsessed with origins right? Um, yeah. to their detriment. But sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, there's, there's certainly two opposing stories. There's two opposing histories that are being taught. There's the history of the scriptures, and then there's the history that's taught in, you know, most universities and most schools and most public, you know, education institutions today. And um, that's really what it comes down to, a battle of two histories, two histories of death. You know, why is death here? You know, the scriptures say it's because of sin, right? God created everything good. Right? There was no sin, there was no death, then sin entered the world, you know, and death because of sin. However, the other history of death is that, you know, life sprung forth from the ooze or from, you know, the, the primordial pond scum. Life just sprung forth somehow, right? And then that life died, but as it died... Uh, it gave rise to new life and stronger life and so on and so forth. Like life just kept dying, but then the, you know, somehow life kept found a way, right, to keep surviving. And then over time, all of those surviving things through death, through this, you know, so death is really our friend in the evolutionary view of history, right? Yeah, yeah. If it wasn't for death, we would have never gotten here because it, Death is what was needed to allow this, you know, uh, optimization, you know, algorithm to to really, you know, unfold um, along the way. And so you have these two histories of death, right? 
And, you know, the one history that the Bible talks about uh, is right alongside all of these spiritual, all of these moral, all of these heavenly things, right? But it has all these earthly things, right? And the spiritual and the moral things that the Bible talks about are actually founded in the earthly things that the Bible talks about, right? And what Jesus is saying in John 3 is if the earthly things are not true, right? Uh, If the history of the Bible is not true, then how can the spiritual things be true? And so I would challenge anyone hearing this right now. If you don't believe the Bible's history of the world, the Bible's history of how you and I came to be, right? The Bible's history of how um, the sun, the moon, the stars came to be, right? Then how can you possibly believe all the spiritual things, right? If God can't find it in his mind and in his wisdom to tell us the truth about how we got here and the history of the world that he created, how can we possibly believe that he is truthful and right when he talks about heaven and hell and all of those things. Yeah, and <clears throat> how can I put this? Um, so when we look at moving from earthly to spiritual, right, if you're, if you're not going to believe God, if you're not going to believe God's history, then whose history are you going to believe? a man you're gonna and you're gonna believe man's history so you're immediately going to put yourself in the position of an idolater right you're gonna make god out of something and you and you put man's authority above god's authority definitionally over and above superseding transcending again should sound blasphemous because is blasphemous god's authority right you're saying so this man's authority somehow corrects god Ooh, right. I mean, f- where angels fear to tread here, right? We're not correcting God. So there's a sense in which we must affirm all authoritative counts, uh, accounts, <laughs> accounts of God, all authoritative records given by God. Uh, so the people who are smarter, craftier, more subtle about these things, they'll try to get behind, get back behind that. And they'll say, well, he's not giving you an an accurate account. And those are the ones that in-house we at least need to deal with out outside of the family of God, outside of the adopted family of God, uh, the church, the household of faith. Uh, you're dealing with people who just hate God. And so any account that makes God look bad or makes God less believable is immediately favored because they hate God. So those are the folks who are going to come at you with these men are right. But I think uh, I think we really need to be careful. We need to be really cognizant and look for what is the source of the attack? Who is the attacker? Where are they standing? Or at least where do they think they're standing when they're making this attack? Where are they coming from, right? So you can't deal with a materialist the way you would a spiritualist, make it really easy. You can't deal with someone who says, well, most of God's word is true, the same way you would deal with someone who would say none of God's word is true. And all of this seems, Mm -hmm. it seems first look very obvious, but it really does, the devil, 
pun intended, is in the details here. It'll really play out in how they argue this with you. And so uh, I would just challenge the church to understand that it is blasphemy, literal blasphemy, to challenge God's own account of how things were made and how things are falling out according to God's perfect plan. Yeah. And I would just challenge the um, the audience um, who's listening if um, as they think through these things, you know, um, the question is, you know, if the earthly things aren't true, um, how can the spiritual things be true? And so you might want to ask yourself, does the Bible touch on geology? Does it touch on biology, anthropology, astronomy, physics, chemistry, etc.? And does it touch on those things? Most people will say, ah, the Bible is not a science textbook, right? It's just a book of religion, salvation, morality, but it is a book of history. It's absolutely a book of history. And if the history is not true, then how can the spiritual, the moral, and the heavenly things be true? And further, right, if the science of the Bible is not true, which is part of the history, it's part of the history in the Bible that leads up to Jesus Christ, right? If the science that it presents is not true, how can any of it be true, right? And um, people might not realize it, but the Bible does touch on geology, it touches on biology, it touches on anthropology, which is the history of man, and it touches on astronomy, the sun, the moon, the stars, it, it touches on physics and chemistry and all of those things. And while the Bible is not a science textbook, right, it doesn't touch on these uh, subjects like a science textbook does. It doesn't tell you the equations, right? It doesn't tell you the formulas for how airplanes fly or, you know, how gravity works. Uh, but it does touch on the big picture of all of these things. And we'll we'll talk about that. Um, but first, I want to get to a, a caller. Uh, looks like we have a gentleman named Michael on the line from Panorama City with a question about uh, origin. So, Michael, uh, you're on the air with Apologetics.com. How are you tonight? Hello, fine, thank you, and I'm enjoying your guys' show. I missed part of it, but I hear enough to, you know, that I could, uh, what you guys are talking about. Very important. Absolutely. Okay. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Yeah, my comment and question is, uh, first of all, that I heard that, you know, as that Catholic, they, 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 are, they can believe, that on in both evolution and creation and recently sometimes i there's a station that sometimes i listen to a catholic that you don't hear what they're saying a different and there's a a retired priest the other day he was talking about genesis to you know the the origin and he said um there's debate about the seven day of creation or millions of years and he said whatever basically say what you could believe either it doesn't it it it's, you know, for in God, he said, you know, like a million, you know, the verse, <coughs> sorry, the verse, the Bible said a million, a thousand years is like one day. So he kind of said from God's point of view, it might have been a million years from human, it's seven days. So it doesn't really matter what you believe. So I was like, yeah. I think the Bible said seven days, you know. Yeah. So, so what do you guys think of that also? And if you heard of that, that as Catholic, you can believe evolution and creation i think that shouldn't be but that's yeah. what i think great question great question yeah we'll uh we'll definitely we'll definitely talk about that so one thing i would say right off the bat um 
is is Martin Luther. He has a great quote. Martin Luther wrote this um, in the and in the time of Martin Luther, Michael, if if you're familiar at all, um, the church was dealing with the the church was dealing with a a different problem. Um, many people in Martin Luther's day thought that God created in a matter of seconds. He created everything kind of all at once, right? And you know they they said, well, seven six days is is way too long. Like it, it couldn't have taken God that long. And Martin Luther wrote this um, one of one of his greatest quotes, um, I believe. He said, when Moses writes that God created heaven and earth and whatever is in them in six days then let this period continue to have been six days and do not venture to devise any comment according to which six days were one day. But if you cannot understand how this could have been done in six days, then grant, here's, here's, the, key, here's the key part, then grant the Holy Spirit, grant the Holy Spirit the honor of being more learned than you are. Hmm. Amen. For you are to deal with Scripture in such a way that you bear in mind that God Himself says what is written. First Timothy hmm. three sixteen. All Scripture is God breathed, right? And yep. and since God is speaking, it is not fitting for you wantonly to turn His word in the direction you wish to go. And that that is a the mo- a great quote from Martin Luther that the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. And if the Holy Spirit says that God created in six days, then allow the Holy Spirit the honor of being more learned than you or me or whatever, whatever scientists might want to say about how long the earth has been around. The Holy Spirit was there. He observed it. And he wrote down for us exactly what unfolded, and so we don't need we don't need to go anywhere. And so if you if you have things that are, so it does matter. It absolutely right. does matter because God has spoken, right? And and we are not to to wantonly turn. If we could take God's word in Genesis, Michael, yes. and make six days turn into six million years or whatever it might be if we can do that in genesis well why then when science says men can't men can't come back from the dead you know what are we going to do with with the gospels Hmm. you know right what does science say about the resurrection of men science says it can't happen it happened right but what does scripture say it does happen it can happen that god rose from the dead and if if god wants to raise you know, what is it for God to raise someone from the dead? It's nothing. Right. Right? He created us. He can he can recreate us. He can resurrect us. You know? And so so if yeah. you if you try to take Genesis and turn it into, you know, whatever man thinks is possible, well then then what's gonna prevent you from doing that in the gospels? And that's kind of the point of Jesus in John three. He says, Hey, if you can't believe me when I speak of basic things about the earth how are you ever going to believe me when I speak of heaven and hell and all these things, eternal life? And so the, the priests, Michael, that you're talking about that say it doesn't matter what you believe, I say that's why we're in the mess. That's why we're in the mess we're in because you don't take God's word as authoritative. You, right. you, you take God's word and you, and, you, and you put God's word under man's word. 
right? And when you do that, you basically, you lose all of, all of it. Yeah, from what I gather, they, the way they're looking at it now that I kind of understand is that for them is what the, is what the church says. So they don't read it for them. They could read it for themselves, but they let the, supposedly the church interpret. So if the church says, you know, like that, it doesn't matter. Then they they go along and says that the authority of the church is more important is the one that tells you what is right in the scripture or not. Yeah, well, I think Daniel could comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make a I'll make a couple of disclaimers. I don't speak for Branch of Hope. Uh, I don't speak for KKLA, but I will speak for myself and the understanding of pretty much every Protestant until very recently. Uh, what you're highlighting is the essence of Roman Catholicism, and the essence of Roman Catholicism is, hath God really said? And the way to answer that question is to listen to the snake in the form of the Pope who says so. So the snake Pope says what God really says, uh, because the, the Roman Pope is the Antichrist. He is standing in the place of Christ. And he declares authoritatively as Christ on earth what Roman Catholics are to believe. So he can say today that the earth was created in an instant, which is the old kind of leaning of some Roman Catholic theologians. He can say tomorrow that the, the earth was created in billions and billions of years of geologic time. And as a Roman Catholic, if he says those things authoritatively— you must believe those things today and then tomorrow because he tells you what scripture means. Not the right. Holy Ghost, not Jesus Christ speaking as the word in his word, not the Father revealing through the Son and the Holy Ghost the word that he's given authoritatively from setting it down all the way back in the beginning, but no, rather what a man who proclaims himself to be sitting on the papal see, the throne of Peter, it's what he says scripture means. And that is why Protestants have always believed that he is against Christ, sure, but more germanely, antichrist means antichristos, means in the place of Christ. So I hope that helps you, Michael. Yes, yes, definitely. I, 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 I am actually in full agreement with what you said. And one last question, one last thing, if you have. Um, yeah, one minute. I have a, yeah. Okay, I have a I have a book. A friend, my friend who is a Catholic, loaned me a, a Catholic Bible. Said, and in that, it started out saying, in the beginning, the Big Bang, like thirteen millions of years. And it also said, Catholic don't take, not supposed to take the Bible literally. That the Bible could have errors, like you were talking mm. about in science and history, and still be. But it, when it comes to faith, you can trust it but it could have errors in, in science and history. I was like, what? And, yeah. and I showed it to a, another Catholic, and he said, I don't agree with that, but that's what the Bible comment that, the, that the, this Catholic Bible said. I was like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. It, it doesn't make God, sense. Yeah, we would, right. sim we would simply affirm that if God can lie to you in one area, right, if he can speak to you falsely about science— which is what the claim is. He says it's six days, but it's really something else. Then why can't he lie to you in every other area? 
what yeah. makes him not a liar in other areas of Scripture. And, of course, this is blasphemy. This is why we affirm that God cannot lie, and he's even beyond not even lying— this is another way of saying it, getting at it from a different angle. He's not the author of confusion. Amen. All right, Michael, amen. thanks so much. Amen. for your, Amen. Thank you. Thank you amen. Guys. Thank you so much for your call. We appreciate it. Thanks for uh, listening to apologetics.com. We pray you uh, are blessed and then call us back. Call us back next Friday or whenever you're whenever you're listening in. All right. Thank you. Keep up the good work, guys. God bless. Thank you. God bless. All right, we appreciate that call. We appreciate we appreciate all calls, uh, but we are at the end of our our time for this Friday night, this Saturday morning, um, and we just wanted to thank you all for listening in, for um, taking the time out of your your day, your evening to listen to us, and uh, we pray that you are blessed. We pray that you would stand firmly. Uh, from beginning to end, from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation, that God's word, everything that it says is infallible, it's inerrant, it's 100% true, it's sufficient for anything you're doing in life and anything you might do in life, and it's authoritative, that God's word is the final ultimate authority above all men, all women, all rulers and powers and principalities. Um, now and forever. So we pray that you would take that with you as you continue to walk with Christ and follow him. So uh, until next time, uh, keep the faith. God bless.